you know, when I look at our American culture, when I look at our business culture, we are a, a group of people who like to follow people with the answers. And so that's been the biggest question of this process is how do I get people to follow themselves? How do I get people to trust themselves so that they can trust other people too? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, And I'm Garrett Philbin. We want to give you a space to explore your relationship with money, the guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo. In this episode, we chat with Tara McMullen, formerly Tara Gentile, founder of Co-Commercial. We talk about why she decided to walk away from a business that earned her over a million dollars in sales because of her values. We also get into the nitty gritty of what she did to build another business that both earns her money and helps her customers thrive without her. Tara also shares what business owners and consumers can do to be more informed about the choices they make so that they're purchasing or creating products in an ethical way. Look, there's no shame in needing help. And if you feel like it's a stretch to hire a professional, do what the smart kids do. Grab a book and implement the money lessons you learn so you can be a total badass. And do you like the sound of free? I know I do. And if you do, the amazing people at Audible are offering a free 30-day trial where you can nab two free audiobooks. And if you decide to stay on, memberships start at just $15 a month. To start your free trial and grab those two free audiobooks, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash audible. That's www.beyondthedollar.co backslash A-U-D-I-B-L-E. And to check out resources we shared in this episode, including a guide to using your values and your financial decisions, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Welcome, Tara, to Beyond the Dollar. We are super, super excited to have you on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this stuff. Good, good, because I told you this pre-recording. I read the article, I think, like five times, and I finally had to uh, beg. I asked Garrett to have you on because I love the topic. So we're going to be referencing the article quite a lot. So it'll be in the show notes on beyondthedollar.co for anyone interested. So you made a pretty bold choice. I think a lot of people would consider a pretty bold choice to shut down basically your old business and all the products and the, essentially the old business model in order to create something pretty new and radically different than what you had before. So I'm just going to quote your article here. It said, you said, financially, it was a tough call. Ethically and ideologically, it was one of the be- easiest decisions I've ever made. So let's unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Sure. So financially, like you said, my whole business, my whole livelihood was based on a pretty well-established online business model, sort of expert culture model where I taught programs, I coached clients in groups, and people came to me for my knowledge, my expertise, my take on things. And financially, that's how my life ran. My job was to get people to believe that I had the answers that they needed, that I had the solution to their problem. And then we got together and worked on that solution. And you know, it's not that that wasn't true. It's not that I was trying to get 
people to believe something that I didn't believe myself. But at the same time, I could start to see that there were a lot of cracks in this model. I mean, while I knew I could help business owners and I have helped hundreds of business owners over the years grow their businesses, manage their businesses better, reclaim their time, make more money. I also knew that I didn't actually have all the answers, that I alone couldn't have the total solution to their problems. But what I could do was create an environment where they could find those things. But in order to do that, I needed to take myself out of the expert role. And when I started to think about what this meant for my business model, it meant that I needed to completely change it. I needed to sort of start reworking things so that I was in a position where I was not the answer, but instead creating an environment for those answers to thrive in. And so that was a really big change from a business model perspective, which meant it was a really tough call from a financial perspective. But when I looked at sort of the parallels that I could see between our online business world, my business model as it had existed, and the sort of political landscape or, and the financial landscape that existed specifically in the United States, but I think that exists all over the world in many different forms, I could see a lot of parallels. I could see where how in the online business world, there were these authority figures that said, I'm the one who can fix this. I'm the only person who can make this right. I'm the only person that you need to look to for answers, for the truth, for the way things should be done. And it started to sound really familiar and paralleled a lot of the things that I pretty much stood against when it came to financial ecosystems and political ecosystems. And so the more those two ideas started to collide where I didn't want to be in the expert position anymore. I didn't want to be the only person that people were coming to. I didn't want to feel like I had to have all the answers. And I wanted to create a space where multiple answers could thrive, where we could live in wise ambiguity. And I didn't want to perpetuate systems that I was already standing against. It became so easy to see that I needed to change everything about the way I was doing business so that I could create more of the world that I wanted to live in, at least in my tiny corner of the internet, but so that I could also kind of contribute to the culture that was changing at large as well and what we were waking up to in terms of realizing the ways in which authoritarianism and you know and those kinds of ideologies were interrupting the way we really wanted to live. So it was financially a very difficult decision, but like I said, ethically, ideologically, it ended up being a very easy choice to make. In your article, you mentioned that when you started looking into the system of kind of internet marketing, not internet marketing businesses, but a way that a lot of online businesses are run. So having little bits of content that you give away for free in order to try to get an email address, then you don't give away a lot of good content. You kind of put that behind financial firewall that people have to pay for. And what I got out of the article was, yes, that, like this part about not being the guru, but that the more you dug deeper, you're like, okay, it's not just that I don't want to be the expert and this authoritarian figure, right? That, that, but that it was also like, holy crap, the online business system that I am working from I got the sense that you said is kind of fundamentally flawed or not in alignment fundamentally with how you want to be operating. So I'd love if you could speak more to that and that discovery. 
Sure. So, you know, I think that there is inherently a lot of manipulation built into the information marketing model where we promise a lot of things that we don't end up delivering on. And I'm going to continue to say we because, you know, I'm still in the process of unraveling a lot of these things for myself. And I think, you know, when I look at my friends and colleagues who are in the space as well, who have made changes over the last few years for a lot of the same reasons, they would also admit that, that they are still in the process of unraveling things. So like I said, there's a lot of manipulation baked into the information marketing model. There are a lot of promises that are made that are not fully delivered on on purpose as a way of kind of stringing people along into deeper and deeper false senses of relationship. And again, to me, that just really parallels a lot of the things, a lot of the systems that create conflict, that create oppression, that create brokenness in our culture at large. And what bothers me so much about this is that many of us started our information marketing businesses, our expert businesses, our coaching businesses, our consulting businesses to create a lifestyle of freedom, to separate ourselves from the man or to separate ourselves from more, much more traditional manipulative working environments. And yet, we find ourselves reproducing those systems because it's what we know in our own businesses. And that that really blew me away when I made that realization. It was like, oh crap, we did this to do something different. And we ended up doing the same thing because it's all we know. And so one of the things that I've had to really reckon with is becoming much more intentional about the new systems that I want to build. Instead of figuring out how the system works, although that's important to being able to dismantle it, I need to figure out what the system is that I want to build and how that is either helping people or hurting people and making sure that the integrity of that system is there outside of what I've known before. It's funny. It sounds a little bit analogous to what Facebook is going through in that Mm -hmm. sense of wanting to create something that will connect everyone throughout the world and these very good intentions that we all start out with. And then if it's created within this system that already exists, it's like, oh, and now we have 2.2 billion people that are connected, which is great. And also all the other shit that's happening because they, I would say, their massive article came out in the New York Times yesterday of like, have actively resisted confronting the system that they live within and how they've kept it going or perpetuated. Yeah, I think that is a fantastic analogy because what they've essentially ended up doing as well is recreating the mass media model, but doing so with tools that are infinitely or have the the capacity to be infinitely more destructive, right? (laughs) Because mass media has some checks and balances to it, right? It has expectations, it has boundaries that it's set for itself, it has a culture where certainly not perfect, but like there are things there that, that keep the service element, that keep the mission of media at least in the room. <laughs> Whereas when it comes to that mass media model that Facebook is using to actually make money, which is through advertising, what they've done is gone and created all these extra tools that people with absolutely no ethical code, absolutely no set of checks and balances can use to their advantage. And sometimes that works out really well. 
And a lot of times it works out really, really poorly. So I love that model because I think it's very true for the expert culture, information marketers, online business world as well, in that we have just an absolutely incredible set of tools that we can use to do business with. And we can either use those tools to uphold the systems that we don't like, or we can use those tools to build a new system, but we have to be really intentional about it and confront some things that are really painful, I think, to confront. I'll say yes to all that because as you're talking about Facebook, Garrett, and Tara, about your old business model, I'm thinking about financial advisors or a lot of them are air quote financial advisors. And they're really just trying to sell you some products and they get a little bit off the top, right? With expense ratios, I'm not going to get too technical into that kind of stuff. But it's it's almost like, let's just throw a bunch of jargon at you. And then hopefully you're gonna be too intimidated to kind of ask me questions in order to figure out what's going on. And uh, what I really like, you know, hopefully this is sort of paralleling my observations with a lot of businesses is that they are trying to dismantle in the way that you are talking about. But they're dangerously getting to that point where they're not necessarily mindful or very careful about how they do it. So you know, walk us a little bit through some of the questions that you asked yourself or like what kind of reflection process did you go through to really come to these epiphanies and how you're really now trying to intentionally moving your business toward a more, not an expert culture model? Yeah. So I think what I looked at is where people got the best results in the past in the model that I had previously. Because one thing that's always been really important to me is sort of the peer-to-peer mentoring, peer-to-peer coaching that happens really naturally in lots of different businesses, in lots of different information or coaching or expert culture businesses where maybe it's a Facebook group, maybe it's a mastermind session, maybe it's a Q&A call, but where people are actively helping each other out. And I've always been fascinated by the magic that happens in those situations where like, I end up sitting back and like, wait a second, I thought I was supposed to be the one with all the answers and realizing that the answers all live in that group. And so I got to thinking, I don't want to be the expert anymore. That's probably a good thing because it opens up more space for those kinds of conversations. So then how can I be more intentional? How can I create a better container for those kinds of conversations to take place? We sort of operate from the idea that every challenge, every problem, every question that you have in your business is a lesson that someone else learned the hard way. And I've seen that be true over and over and over and over again throughout the years. It's been true in my own business as well as I've grown uh, my audience, as I've tried to figure out how to hire people, as I figured out how to improve our operations. If I've got a question or I'm dealing with a challenge, I don't go and buy an online course. I don't ask a coach. I go and ask people I know who've already figured that stuff out. And so I wanted to be able to create a space where that actually was happening. And so I had to ask myself a lot of questions about what would make people comfortable to have those kinds of conversations? What would make people show up? What would make people trust each other? And build a system from there. And right now, like in hindsight, telling you about this, it sounds pretty straightforward even to me, but it's been a two-year journey of really looking at all of the different layers, you know, pulling back layer after layer after layer, realizing 
each new burden, each new obstacle that people run into and being able to just trust someone else to give them good information or to trust that they have the ability to make a decision for themselves based on information that they've gathered from a group of other people instead of just one expert. And so it's also been a process of really understanding what it takes for people to lead themselves instead of what it takes to get someone to follow you, right? Like I'm really good at getting people to follow me. (laughs) It's one of my strengths. It's one of my communication strengths. It's one of my personality strengths. I talk and represent myself in a way that naturally makes people want to listen to me and want to follow me. And so another piece of this has been figuring out what my role is in a community space and a container where people are helping each other and leading themselves instead of following me. And that has been a really big piece of this puzzle, one that I definitely don't have completely figured out yet, but one that I'm in a much better place on today than I was two years ago. But it has just been this constant journey of question asking and answering and experimentation to really pull back those layers. Because again, I I just, I think... You know, when I look at our American culture, when I look at our business culture, we are a a group of people who like to follow people with the answers, right? And so that's been the biggest question of this process is how do I get people to follow themselves? How do I get people to trust themselves so that they can trust other people too? What was really apparent in the article you wrote was how much self-inquiry that you were doing throughout the process and just realizing I don't have the answers and I have to be okay with being wrong. I have to be okay with not getting it right. And one of the things I hear in this is like the inherent problem is if you hold yourself out as the guru, it's hard to make mistakes. And so, you know, I'm just curious that like, is that guru model or if you say you have all the answers and then people follow you, if you make a mistake, you know, I think that there's this inherent problem because either you, A, can't admit you're wrong, partly because of ego or you feel you have to uphold that image. Or if you do, then you almost let people down who have come to see you as this expert and kind of come to see you as infallible. So do you agree that those are kind of the main issues with that model? And are there other things that are inherently problematic with having someone be presented as the person who has all the answers? Yes, I totally agree that those are two of the main issues with the guru model. I think there's also a third, which is, or a third option for how people respond when there is failure. And that is that they turn failure into I want to say a learning experience, but I don't mean it in a positive way. I mean that they turn their failure into... They essentially make the failure positive. So they say, this is just another reason you should follow me because look how I'm doing things differently. Or look how human I am. This is another reason that you should follow me. And they actually can turn that failure into something very manipulative as well. And when I say... I want to kind of put a disclaimer and say that when I say that these things are manipulative or that it contributes to authoritarianism or oppression, I don't mean that these people are bad people. (laughs) And I don't think that anyone is like, let me prop up systems of oppression with my business. I do not believe that at all. But I think we get so wrapped up in these things that we don't see what it is that we're really doing. And I I think your point about self-inquiry is 
really important. I think we owe it to ourselves as business leaders. And you're a business leader if you have a business, <laughs> not just if you have a .com with your name on it, or if you tell people to follow you because you know how to help them make more money. I think as business leaders, we need to be really willing to examine our why behind every decision, behind every action, behind every strategy, behind every tactic. And that why can be because I want to make more money and it has to be something else also. And if we look at what that something else is, I think we can sometimes see, all right, I'm doing this because I want people to follow me because I need that personal validation. Or I need people to believe this was a good decision because my agenda says that I have to be the one with the right answers. Or that why can be, you can choose to make that why because I want to be a great example for the people that are following me. Or I want to be of service to the people who have problems that I can help them solve. Or I want to empower people who have these issues to solve them for themselves. I mean, that, that why can be so many different things. And if we don't know what that why is, then we're prone to keep making choices that end up manipulating people unintentionally. That's, I love that. And I have to ask this. It's a great position to be in to say, I walked away from this million dollar business. Now for many people, there's a point where they're just thinking about where their next paycheck's coming from, or they're not in that position where they can walk away from a steady paycheck. So, but Let's say I'm that person where I realize, okay, the business model or the job I'm at is not really in line with my values. It's really not doing great things in the world. Like what can someone like that do to start to really move towards maybe walking away from the job, maybe walking away from that business model into something that's that's more in line with who they are and what they want to do in the world? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is to identify whether you want a piece of the pie and a bigger piece of the pie or whether you've actually identified a problem that you can help solve or that you can build a company that can solve. Because when I see a lot of people who are in a place where they feel a little more desperate, they feel the pressure of not knowing where the next paycheck is going to come from. It's very easy to get caught up in wanting a piece of the pie that already exists. You know, they can say, well, I want that too. Like they can look at people, they can look at those gurus, look at those experts, the coaches that are out there and say, well, I want that too. That's not a great reason to start a business. And when you have that kind of me too attitude, I want a piece of that pie attitude, you're prone to making, I think, decisions for how you will do your business that aren't helpful. They may or may not be ethical. They may or may not be in line with your values, but they're just not helpful. And I think you are more prone to making less ethical, less aligned choices as well. As opposed to when you've identified a problem that people have, a problem that they feel that they know about that they really truly do want to solve. And you can say, all right, I have the skills or I have a process or I have, I just have the willingness to solve this problem. And I'm going to build a business that solves this problem for people. Then you are much more likely to be acting and making decisions out of 
service. And when you're making decisions out of service, you're going to create something that has value in and of itself, as opposed to having placing that value on yourself. And that I think is a really important distinction. You may end up being the person that solves the problem. You may end up being the expert that people go to, but you're doing so not because you're seeking personal validation or that you're seeking your slice of the pie. What you're doing is placing your purpose and your why in that service in the solution itself. And not only going to make it easier for you to do business now and easier for you to make money now, but it's going to help you create a greater capacity for growth in the long term as well, because your financial value, your worth as an individual is not baked up in being the person with the right answers, if that makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned... Right. So moving away from this, I have all the answers model to I'm going to step back and create an environment and community where other people can support themselves and or support each other and creating that structure for them. But you also mentioned that there are different ways that you saw that like the business model was broken of giving like a little bit of content that's supposed to be valuable, but isn't really valuable away for free. And so I'm curious if what are some tangible examples of things that you saw were very broken in what you did to kind of get down into the nitty gritty? So for some small business owners that are listening, like, okay, what are some things that really she saw that weren't working for her? And now what did you do to change those and make it in a way that didn't continue to perpetuate that system that didn't work and that was broken? Yeah. So specifically with that system of giving away a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and asking for a sale, essentially what you're doing is making people dependent on you. And there are lots of examples of how different marketing systems in the, specifically in the information marketing world or in the coaching world are based on increasing levels of dependence to get people to finally say yes to a sale. So that's one system. Another example of this is the way in which we create problems that people don't actually have. (laughs) And so what I mean by this is we look and we see people struggling to make money. To go back to, to Sarah's previous question. All right. People have businesses. They're struggling to make money. The way to get people to pay attention to you is to say, I have the solution to that problem. Here, it's that you need a tighter sales funnel. It's that you need better copywriting. It's that you need to figure out your Facebook ads strategy, whatever it might be. You have a particular answer to the question that this big question that people are asking. And so what I see, what I have seen happen from the vantage point of observing business owners over the years is that whatever people are selling at the time, that's the problem people think they have. They think they have a sales funnel problem. They think they have a Facebook ads problem. They think they have a, you know, and it's not just the business world either. You know, maybe they think they have a relationship problem. They think they have a boundaries problem. They think they have a communication problem. And they might, like, you might have a sales funnel problem. You might have a Facebook ads problem. You might have a relationship problem, whatever it might be. But in this model, there's no room for self-inquiry. There's no room for critical thinking about, is this really my problem? Because in that path that these marketers take you down, the path that I've taken people down, if you have this initial issue, this big picture problem, making more money, serving more customers, finding more time, having a better marriage, 
if you have that issue, then certainly this must be the answer. And so people get really freaked out. Oh my gosh, I need a sales. I don't have a sales funnel. I need a sales funnel. I need a sales funnel. <laughs> you know, from my position, I'm able to say, wait, do you really? Is, is that actually what you need? And when we pull back the layers on that, it's just a marketing message that's created this problem for them. And I understand that it's not, again, it's not done out of manipulation. It's not done out of a sense of coercion. It's done because often that's how marketing works. But I think the model that we've been operating in, the marketing tactics that we have been using as an industry perpetuate this problem of making people think they have problems that they don't actually have instead of actually being a guide for people, instead of acting in service of the people that are following us, we create need where there may not actually be need. And I think that's problematic. And I think that, again, we see the parallels to that in our political culture today as well, where people are afraid of things they haven't been afraid of. But now now they're now someone is telling them hey you really should be afraid of this thing do you know about this thing if you don't know about this thing and you're not afraid of it you should be and here's why and let me give you the scary motion graphics on the screen to go along with it and i just think those parallels are really clear and if we're playing into you know i think we can agree that we don't like that in politics today so why are we allowing it into our businesses today as well I'm just like, yes, yes to all that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was like a really long mic drop. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I'm thinking when you were speaking, I was thinking like the beauty industry, even the financial industry, there's just so many industries that this falls into where it's almost like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost like we're made to feel like we're not enough because we don't have that solution. Because I feel like we're, I think as society as a whole, I'm generalizing here, we're almost so like results focused. Like we reward people with results or get the results that when we don't have it in whatever capacity, like we're lesser than somebody else. And so then we buy, we buy and or we, you know, do and do and do. We get the gurus, et cetera, to get that result. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned the, the beauty industry because the other day I came across an Instagram post from the company Glossier, which makes this really kind of cult line of makeup products that are really focused on fairly natural beauty, you know, making people feel really good without having lots of makeup on their face. And the post was just a tweet of someone saying, I always thought I wasn't pretty enough for Glossier. But then I realized the problem wasn't Glossier. I needed to see myself as more beautiful or something like that. I wish I could remember the exact line of this tweet. But it was... To me, it was this beautiful example of a company that was creating a product to truly make women feel good about the product that they were wearing instead of making them feel bad about themselves. And in this tweet, this woman had this realization, I am good enough for this product as opposed to I am horrible. That's why I need this product. And I was like, oh my God, that's so 
of like it literally brought tears to my eyes, this silly Instagram post. And I think we need to show up there more as information marketers, as coaches, as consultants, as whatever it is that we create, as makers, as artists. We need to show up in that place where people are buying because they feel good about themselves, not because we've told them there's something wrong with them or that they have a problem. It's not that we don't have problems. We do have problems. And I think we can acknowledge that, but we can also acknowledge that our customers have the power to solve those problems instead of saying, you need to rely on me to solve this problem. So coming from the, the customer side, what are some ways that I can be more aware that some of this stuff is happening? Such a good question. And no one has asked me that question in this conversation yet. So I really, really appreciate it. The first thing I think customers need to ask themselves is, is this really my problem? So the next time you open an email, the next time you're scrolling through Instagram and you start wondering or you start thinking, ooh, maybe that's my problem, that's the moment you need to stop and think. It's not enough to go read all the blog posts that company has written or listen to all their podcast episodes or sign up for their webinar. You need to stop before you do that and ask yourself, is this really my problem? Could this really be my problem? Why would it be? Why wouldn't it be? It may, again, it may very well be like that could be great marketing and that could absolutely be the solution to whatever problem you are facing right now. But you need to get really clear on that before you go down the rabbit hole because that rabbit hole is designed to get you to buy, right? We know this. Everything, every rabbit hole we go down, we go down it because there is an agenda to get us to buy at the end. That agenda isn't in itself the issue. It's the attitude that customers can't parse that for themselves. And so as customers, we need to start parsing that for ourselves, right? We need to start being way more critical way earlier on in the buying cycle so that we don't get to the buy now button and ask ourselves whether we need this or not. We need to be in that position of asking ourselves whether we need this or not, whether this is really our problem, whether this really could be the solution way before we get to that buy now button, way before we go down that marketing rabbit hole. I think that is the number one thing consumers can start doing. The other thing, and obviously I do, I have an agenda on this, so I'll just say that first and foremost. I just think we need to talk to each other more. You know, I think that as consumers in any industry, we should be talking to each other about what's actually working and what's not working. Because what I find is that people have a lot of secrets, right? People have a lot of secrets about, well, I've got this thing that works for me and I'm so glad that I found it. Or man, I tried that thing that everyone else is trying and I hate it. And (laughs) whatever it is, and I don't think we, obviously we don't keep these secrets on purpose. I just don't know that we have the conversations where those secrets can come out often enough. And so I think as consumers, we just need to be talking more. What did actually work for you? What didn't work for you? What are you trying right now? How's it going? Again, whether it's beauty, whether it's health, whether it's fitness, whether it's business, we need to be talking to each other more and just gathering that real life information that is separate from a marketing message. So flipping that around. So that was from the consumer side and awesome question, Sarah, just to acknowledge you for that, because that was great. Like from those who offer the, the coaches, the people who offer the services, what are some of the things that you feel they 
should be doing. And I know should is not maybe the best word to use there, but ways that they can be more upfront and honest and transparent or communicating with each other to see, you know, is the problem that I, the way that I'm thinking about fixing the problem really the right thing for what these people actually need? Yeah, again, a great question. I think that one thing that we can do is encourage that critical thinking earlier on in our marketing process. So just like I said, I think consumers need to be thinking critically way earlier on before they go down a marketing rabbit hole. If we're the ones creating a marketing rabbit hole, then we need to be upfront about asking people to think critically before that happens. It could be as simple as saying, this is what's going to happen next. I'm going to try to sell you my book. I'm going to try and sell you my online course. Here's who it's for. This is the kind of problem it solves. If you've been asking these kinds of questions, this might be for you. Click here to keep getting this information or click here to not get this information. I think that... And I I do think this trend is actually building in especially the information marketing industry where people are getting way more direct with their marketing. So in the past, we've made the sales process sort of very shadowed, very cloaked. We've really hidden. We've tried to hide our agenda. People knew what was going on, but we thought we were still being really clever and keeping it way back in the distance and people wouldn't... So enough with that. Let's make marketing and sales a lot more direct. It doesn't mean that you don't still need to tell a story, that you don't still need to take people on a journey so that they understand whether something's right for them or not. But I think we can be way more upfront with who something is for, who it's not for, the exact scenario that we're looking for. And I think that also comes down to actually knowing who you're building products for. And that might might sound kind of cliche at this point. We all know we're supposed to have an ideal customer. We all know we're supposed to serve some hyper-focused niche. But I think it's always tempting. It's still tempting for me 10 years into this game to think that I've made a solution for everybody. And I think that I know I do best and I see my our members and my former clients do best when they really focus in on a particular group of people. And I think we should be upfront again about exactly who we made this thing for and why and give people the opportunity to either identify with that group or to not identify with that group so that they're not just getting caught up in sort of the FOMO of a marketing strategy. I have no words. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) You know, asking that of those who deliver, like who operate the marketing funnel, right? So for those coaches, for people offering the services, there's a shit ton of inquiry that has to come of like your own motivations around it. Can you accept that you aren't the solution? Can you accept that or the entire solution? Can you accept that you may need to be upfront and tell someone I'm not right for you and you need someone else? Are there any resources that can kind of help people to start getting into that inquiry and asking themselves and getting more comfortable with the fact? Because this may mean that you will make less money, right? That's in the short term. And I do completely agree that if you step back and you aren't the guru, you will not only, and it's not that you will make more money in the long term, it's that you'll provide more value. And I think maybe that's part of that conversation too, is what is most important to you, right? Is it the money? Is it the value that you provide? And getting really clear on, I guess I'm kind of answering my own questions. I do this a lot. I'm great at like starting to answer questions and I'll be like, this isn't really a question. 
but yeah, that's a very fundamental shift in mindset. So how do people start to become comfortable with the fact that they may make less money and how can they get in the inquiry of like what it is they really want? Yeah. Okay. So you also mentioned kind of resources that people can use to go through this as well. And so I have a few. One, I think that we need to acknowledge that there's a reason we set up our businesses to be very personally validating. And this coaching culture, expert culture, guru culture is very much built around making ourselves feel good while telling ourselves that we're serving other people. And I think that we absolutely can be in service. I think we can absolutely be providing value and at the same time, be largely doing it to be self-validating. And so one, we need to understand that that's going on. And two, we need to ask ourselves why that's happening. Why is it that we're using our businesses to be self-validating? Why is it that we need other people to follow us to feel good about ourselves or to feel better about ourselves? Why does audience growth give us more self-worth? When we start to realize that all of those things are wrapped up, we can start to address them. So one person I know who's doing that work very, very well is a woman named Nicole Lewis-Kieber. And she helps people parse out maybe things that old patterns of behavior, sometimes trauma that's happened earlier in life, whether that was childhood or your early career. And it's little T trauma too, as she would say. It's, it's the things that we don't even notice are affecting our judgment, are affecting our behavior that then end up finding their way into our businesses in very big and potentially destructive ways. So I would highly recommend checking out Nicole Lewis Kieber's work. She's got a podcast called The Sparkle Hour. She does great work on Instagram and her website is nicole.lewis-kieber.com. So that's one resource. I would highly recommend checking that out. Another resource um, was one that literally just hit the shelves this week is Seth Godin's new book, This Is Marketing. I think that... I mean, Seth has always been sort of the godfather of great marketing. And for as many people in the online business world who read his blog every day, who've read probably every book he's written. I don't think that they're paying very much attention because he's, what he talks about is something very different than what we all do on a daily basis or what we have done on a daily basis. And I'm so excited to be diving into his new book because I think it really is sort of a, a magnum opus of his the way he sees marketing. And I think it's a really smart way to reevaluate your own relationship with marketing. And in doing so, I think, start to unravel some of the personal ties that we have to the way we do things and the patterns that we've created in our businesses. And then a third resource is my good friend, Tanya Geisler, who does a lot of work around the imposter complex. And I find that a lot of the business structures that have been very destructive, a lot of the marketing strategies that have been very destructive come from a deep-seated feeling of being an imposter, being the fraud. And so we've set up these businesses that make us not look like a fraud, which then makes us feel more fraudy. And it's this really nasty cycle. And so Tanya's work is absolutely incredible for starting to unravel those things. She has a program called Step Into Your Starring Role Academy. She also has some work around building unshakable confidence. And I definitely believe that people who know what their starring role is, who have that sense of unshakable confidence, are people who are able to create business models that are truly of service, that are creative, that are innovative, that don't depend on manipulation or structures of authoritarianism to make a dime. 
And then to get to the last piece of your question around how do we reckon with the idea that we may make less money in the short term or in the long term while providing more value, I think it's an opportunity and I think it's a call for creativity in that, yes, you may make less money in either the short term or the long term, but I think it's equally possible to make more money focusing on creating platforms for value or space for value or service that is of value and that we just need to think outside the box that we've been in as online business owners, as small business owners, the stories that we've told ourselves about how things work, what tactics are right and what tactics are wrong. And I think, again, going back to like empowering yourself to see a way forward that is actually more profitable by putting the focus on your customers as opposed to putting the focus on you. Awesome. So Tara, what is next for you in your business? (laughs) Um, What is next for me? So I am in the process. I am in a self-publishing sprint right now. And we are in just a week's time. We are publishing a new book called Subtle, The Small Changes That Lead to Big Results. And it's all about the mindset shifts that small business owners go through, often in years two, three, but as late as five or 10 or 15, the things that really open the door to some of that creative thinking and that opened the door to just creating more capacity in your business as a whole. So I'm working on that. And then with co-commercial, something that we're really excited about is actually creating space for smaller, more tighter knit groups of people to work together in the new year. So we're going to be convening a whole series of mastermind groups that we're super excited about. I'm super excited to put my facilitators hat back on and really get into the trenches with people, help them make connections, help them feel really empowered to make their own decisions. And so those are two of the the big things that we have coming up. Awesome. And I'm a member of Co-Commercial and it's awesome. And everyone needs to check it out. If it is a solution for you, definitely, definitely consider it. So I love it so far. I'm sort of a lurker, not a commentator yet. (laughs) So, (laughs) But make sure to ask yourself first what your problem is. And then before you go down, (laughs) just kidding. But no, it's so true though. <laughs> Co-commercial is so not right for everybody. It is definitely not right for new business owners. It would be way too overwhelming. It is right for people who are really great decision makers, who have that confidence in their ability to make a great decision if and when they have the right information. And they, so they're not only decision makers, they're researchers. They're people who want varying opinions, who want different perspectives, who value uh, diverse approaches to solving problems. That's not right for everybody. Some people really like, first you do this, then you do this, then you do that other thing. And that's cool. I'm not good with those people and our space isn't good for those people. So if that's not you, I totally accept that. Uh, But Coco, commercial is really great, like I said, for those decisive action takers and researchers who just want to dive in and talk to people who have something to offer them, who have those hard lessons that they want to learn from. That's great. Thank you so much for the clarification. (laughs) 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 And we ask this question of every guest that we have on, how are you using money to live beyond the dollar? Oh man, how am I using money to live beyond the dollar? I think that in my life, I've, or at least in the last 10 to 15 years, I've really chosen to use money as a tool for my values and a tool for 
supporting the culture and lifestyle that I love. And that culture and lifestyle has changed a lot over the last decade. The places I spend my money has changed a lot. But I love looking at spending money, making money, investing money as a tool for supporting the things that are important to me, as opposed to you know just trying to get more of it, or even opposed to having as big a savings account as I possibly can. I love keeping money flowing in a way that supports the systems and the cultures that I want to be a part of. Awesome, Tara. Thank you so much for coming on Me of the Dollar. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Also, if you feel like putting your money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, then download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values, and start thinking about how to only put your money toward those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.